You remember when you were a kid ever losing your parents? Like you're out at the store with your mom or dad and you lose sight of them and you get separated from them and that you get worried that you can't find them. Or maybe you've been out in the, on a hike or camping or maybe you've been at a large gathering in the past where you got separated from your parents and you thought, oh no, where are they? Where'd they go? Well, today we're going to look a little bit at a psalm, a psalm that asks a very important question. And uh, that question I'm going to share with you through this story from our own family. Uh, my brother, I have a brother, his name's Mark, he's three years younger than I am. And when he was about three years old, uh, he uh, was in the house and my mom was there. My mom was actually in the basement of our house in the laundry area and doing laundry. And they were, uh, she couldn't hear uh, what was him at all, so he is actually upstairs playing with a tape recorder. Uh, if you don't know what a tape recorder is, here's what a tape recorder looks like from the past. This was the, this is called a shoebox tape recorder. It's probably the tape recorder that uh, he was carrying around the house with him, a little handle on it. And he had been playing, and he pressed the record button, and there was a tape recording him as he's walking through the house looking for my mom. And he's going through the house, mom, mom, mom. And he's walking, you can hear the floor creaks, you can hear him walking from room to room and still searching for mom in the house. And then finally, after a period of time, there's a well-known line on that recording, at least well-known to our family, probably not well-known to you. But on the recording, you can hear this pathetic three-year-old voice of my brother go, Mom, where are you? And I thought about that. The psalm we're going to look at today asks that question, God, where are you? That's a question we're all asking, right? God, where are you? And there are times when we can feel like we can look at the external circumstances of our life and we can go, God, where are you? Where, what's up, what are you up to? What are you doing, right? It's the cry of the soul. And I think about, you know, even as uh, my wife's been having some health issues this past month and, and uh, we've been concerned about her and praying for her and then we're like, you know, God, why aren't you healing her? Why isn't she getting better, right? And many of you are going through even worse uh, health issues than we are. You're dealing with cancer, and you're dealing with other uh, health issues that are deeper and harder to go through, and you're maybe even asking that question, God, where are you? That's a very human question. Others of you are struggling in different areas of your lives and our lives that and maybe we're struggling with mental illness or other things or addictions, and we may be asking that very question. Our souls are crying out, God, where are you? are you. Maybe you're looking at the world around us, society, what's going on, and you're going, God, where are you? And it could be very human experience to feel like God is nowhere to be found. That's really the cry of the psalm that we're reading today. We're going to read Psalm 42, and it's really about the soul. It's a psalm about the soul, and the longing of the soul, and it starts, and we're going to read all of the psalm. It actually goes into Psalm 43 as well. We won't read Psalm 43, but Psalm 42 and 43 go together. But let's just read Psalm 42 this morning, starting with verse 1. Just like a deer that craves streams of water, my whole being craves you, God. My whole being thirsts for God, for the living God. When will I come and see God's face? My tears have been my food both day and night as people constantly question me, Where's your God now? But I remember these things as I bear my soul, how I made my way to the mighty one's abode, to God's own house, with joyous shouts and thanksgiving songs, a huge crowd celebrating the festival. Why, I ask myself, are you so depressed? Why are you so upset inside? 
Hope in God, because I will again give thanks, my saving presence and my God. My whole being is depressed. That's why I remember you from the land of Jordan and Hermon from Mount Mazar. Deep called to deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your massive waves surged over me. By day the Lord commands his faithful love. By night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my solid rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I have to walk around sad, oppressed by my enemies, with my bones crushed, my foes make fun of me, constantly questioning me, where's your God now? Why, I ask myself, are you so depressed? Why are you so upset inside? Hope in God, because I will again give, thank, give him thanks, my saving presence and my God. The psalmist reflects the cry of the soul, Right? saying, God, where are you? And we can certainly relate to the psalmist. Uh, one of the things that's happening in the psalmist is that the person writing this is not able to go to worship. Have you ever been not been able to go to worship, like right now? You know, it's hard because we can't gather together in worship. And the psalmist is, for something's going on in their lives, that circumstances of their life are preventing from going to be with others to worship God, and they're longing for that lifeline. Worship really is a lifeline. And even that's why we do this online. It's because it's one of the lifelines we have right now. And what do we mean by lifeline? I don't know if you've ever been whitewater rafting. Have you ever been whitewater rafting before? If you've ever been in a class three, class five, four, five rapids, uh, you know what's happening is you're in this turbulent waters. In fact, some think the psalmist, when they were writing this psalm, was sitting alongside a river or stream as the snow melted off the mountains and created waterfalls and that's mentioned here in the psalm, in this rushing water, and to be over, and they're feeling overwhelmed by that current and the overtaking of those waters, that's reflected in the psalm. And we wonder if that person was basically sitting beside a mountain stream or river as it was rushing, melting snow melt off of the mountains. And if you've ever done that whitewater rafting, you know what it's like to maybe get thrown out of the boat. I've been thrown out of the boat on more than one occasion, whitewater rafting. I've gone overboard. And when you're in really rough current, when you're in water that you can't get out of yourself, when you're overwhelmed by the current and it's taking you, you need someone else to throw you a lifeline. And when you're whitewater rafting, they have a bag, and in the bag there's a rope that's wound up tightly, and they stand on the shore, and they throw that bag at you as you're passing by in the current, and your job is to grab that rope and hang on to that lifeline as hard as you can so they can pull you back to the rock so that you can stand again on firm ground and not be swept away by the current. And I think about this idea of a lifeline, right, that, that the psalmist is looking for these lifelines for our souls. And there's two lifelines for the soul that are mentioned here that we heard mentioned in Psalm 42. The first one is worship. The, the, the longing for worship, the longing to be in a worship community is a lifeline. To be able to worship with others is a lifeline. One of the things we miss about being online in worship is that we, we miss this, uh, the idea of worshiping with other people. Yet I would remind us and, and just keep in mind that there, you are worshiping. You're not alone in your worship this morning. We have other people joining you in worship. We're all worshiping right now. Our whole team here is worshiping together as we offer this up to God. You're worshiping in your home. Just think, somebody else in the city is worshiping in their home with you right now, live, in person, right? They're not in the same room. We're not experiencing their presence with us physically. It's not a, it's not a 
physical experience we have, but it is a shared experience that we're engaged in. We also know people in other parts of the state and other parts of the U.S. People on the other coasts are joining us, and we have other people from other nations joining us or replaying this service. And so in that sense, we're not worshiping alone. We're not alone in this service. We are worshiping right now with other people, not maybe even in different time periods or time zones, whatever. But people are worshiping with us right now as we sing together, as we pray together, as we hear these words of the psalmist together, right? We're worshiping together, and that's a lifeline. And that's, we're thankful that we have this online service that has been a lifeline for us during a very turbulent time, right? We feel overwhelmed by the waters around us. The other thing, the other lifeline, though, that's here in the psalm is this idea of God's faithful love for us. There's a Hebrew word here called hesed, which that it stands for the steadfast love of God. It means that God's love for you and me will not change. It's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow will be there as well. God's love is the unchanging character of God. God's love and faithful love for you and me and for all of us is a constant. It does not change ever. And that's the truth of the scriptures that were given in the Bible. Now, there's a great story in the Bible and I'll just kind of s- summarize it here. It's a great story. If you haven't read it, it's in the Gospel of Luke chapter 15. And it's one of my favorite stories that Jesus tells. And he tells a story called the prodigal son. Now the word prodigal means extravagant or luxurious. And so what it's talking about is the extravagant or luxurious love of God for us. That God is extravagant with God's love for us, right? That God is faithful and steadfast in God's love for us. And so the story goes that a son takes his inheritance, runs away from home, spends all the money on wild living, loses all his friends, loses all his money, and ends up in a pig pen. Mud, dirt, feeding pigs. And he comes to the conclusion he needs to return home and go back to his father's household. But in his return home, he starts to plan a speech in his mind. And when he's going home, he's not going expecting to be restored to his family. He's actually going to be asked if he can work in his father's business, basically to be a servant in his father's household. And so he goes back saying, will you hire me? He's looking for a job from his dad. He's not, a, he's not asking to be a son again. In fact, when he left, he, he basically cut off his sonship and his ability to be son, his status as son. And so when he's coming back home, we get this great image of the father running out to hug him and forgive him. And then he begins his speech. He says, well, you hire me as a servant. And the father ignores his request. He doesn't even hear the request. And instead, he says, you're my son. He restores him as son, a son. Now, this image is you and I can think that we're just servants of God, that we only are worth what we can do for God. Whereas all along, God's faithful love, God's hesed in the Hebrew, means that you and I are sons and daughters of God, regardless of our ability to serve God. So think about that. That God's love is not contingent upon our earning it or deserving it or being able to work for it, where it is totally God's who God is, right? God loves us fully knows us and fully knows everything about us and fully loves us unconditionally with this faithful love for us that doesn't change for us. That's a lifeline. And exactly, it's that lifeline that is actually what our souls need to be replenished with. 
because we lose sight of it. We can't hang on to it. We lose our grasp on this lifeline too often. And the world will pull it out of our hands. The currents of the world, the waves of the world, the waterfalls of the world will try and pull that rope of God, that lifeline of God's unconditional love for us out of our hands constantly, saying to you, you don't matter. You're not worth it. You, you, you got to earn it. You got to achieve it. Something, some voice, some other voice other than God's voice telling us that we are beloved children of God. And so that is something we need to take care of. That's where our souls thrive and find health is in this steadfast love, faithful love of God for us. So how do we do that? How do we get a grip on that lifeline of God's love for us? Well, I'm going to suggest, we suggest here that we take a retreat because retreats are for repair. We take a retreat, we retreat from the world to actually do soul repair work. I think this is a, the practice that we've lost in the church, in the faith community, in the worshiping community. We've lost this ability to take retreats. What's the reason we're not taking retreats anymore? I, I think it's been 20 years since we, we as, a worship, as a church community have taken a church retreat. I remember taking church retreats probably back in the 1990s. That's a long, some of you weren't even alive then. So, but that's maybe the last time I remember taking a church retreat. Now, what's the, perp- what's the reason for that? Every time we think about taking one, it's like, well, we got kids and soccer on Saturday. We're too busy. We got these commitments. We got those commitments. And so what happens to us is we've overcommitted our lives that we can't even take a weekend away to pay attention to our souls. We've ne- we're neglecting our souls in our lives because we've overcommitted. We're over busy. And we talked a little bit about how this busyness is actually tearing our souls apart. We talked about that last week as a threat to our soul. And so we have to retreat, right? We have to disengage from the world to actually re-engage and to take care of our souls and care for our souls. You know, we, we've stopped doing that for some reason. And so it's not so much that we retreat from the world to avoid the world or deny what's going on. That's not the point of retreat. Retreat is to repair. Retreat is to repair our souls so that we can re-engage the world around us, that we can get healthy at a soul level so that we can re-engage as, with a full, healthy soul, the world around us and everything going on around us. And so we need to retreat to repair. Just like an army would retreat to repair and to heal the wounded, we too have to retreat to take care of our souls. Thomas More said this, the vessel in which soul-making takes place is an inner container scooped out of reflection and wonder. Reflection and wonder. So we retreat to do this reflection and wonder about God's love for us, right? To get in touch with God's presence in our lives. So I'm going to suggest to you three practices this morning. Three practices that all start with the letter S, so you can remember them. And that's, the first one is Sabbath. This is actually in the Bible. This is actually a commandment, one of the Ten Commandments, that we're supposed to take a Sabbath. Every week, we're supposed to take 24 hours out of our week and just be with God, right? Separate ourselves from the world. Stop achieving. Stop doing. Be a human being, not a human doing. And so Sabbath is a retreat from work. It is a 24-hour period of time where we cease working and we seek trying to accomplish things, we pause for a day and allow our souls to be replenished by grabbing onto the lifeline of worship and grabbing onto the lifeline of God's love for us, right? That's what Sabbath is for. 
The other thing, so first one is Sabbath practice. So are we doing that? Number two is solitude. Uh, The second S is solitude. We retreat from the world that's looking for us to respond in some way, right? Have you noticed how your world, uh, your world is filled with uh, requests to respond to something, right? How often are you being asked to respond to something, a, a family member, a, an organization, a nonprofit, a church even, asking for a response? We're all, everyone's looking for us to respond in some way, but solitude is to retreat from the world that's clamoring for a response from us. We retreat from the busyness of the world and our lives to be still before God, to still be still and know God, right? So we focus, and this allows us to focus and face inward rather than constantly trying to respond and focus to the outward, the external. And we need to look inward. We need to face our souls and look at what's going on in our souls and see how they can become healthy again right? So solitude actually helps us to do that. So Sabbath, we retreat from work. Solitude, we retreat from response, the world looking for a response. And then the third S is silence. In silence, we retreat from the noise. And the noise is not just audible. The noise is coming at us from all the different voices, external voices and internal voices that we repeat to ourselves. There's all this noise going on. So if you ever get on an airplane uh, you might go on an airplane, get in your seat, and you're, you know that moment when you get on a plane and everybody's getting settled, and then you realize there's an infant in front of you, there's a family with a bunch of kids behind you, across the aisle from you is someone with a, a service animal that's barking, and all this noise is around you on the plane. And you and I probably have come up with a great solution for that. It's called noise-canceling headphones. And we take our noise-canceling headphones, and we put them on, and we go, oh, I can't hear any of that, right? We cancel out the noise so that we can just hear one thing in those headphones. Silence is the ability to take out all the noise from our lives, right? To put on noise-canceling headphones in a way spiritually to just hear the voice of God saying to us, you are a child of mine. You are unconditionally loved. You are fully known and fully loved by God. That's the voice our soul needs to hear. So that when we're asking, God, where are you? We're able to hear God's voice say to us, I'm here. You're mine. I've got a hold of you. Even in the turbulent waters, you're holding on to me. That's what we need to hear. That's what our souls need the most, is to know this, right? And so, We need to cancel out the noise. We need to cancel out all the requests. And we need to cancel out all the work. So I'm going to suggest to you something that may be radical. And I still need to practice it myself. Let me be confess that I'm not really, haven't been good at this. But there's a practice that I think we all need. Is to take a technology Sabbath. Now I understand that I'm saying that as you're using technology, right? Uh, But I want to encourage you to take a tech Sabbath, like we just are now. Thank you, tech team, for giving us a tech Sabbath by going to blank screen. Thank you. All right. These guys here, see, these tech people are so good, right, at staying up. They're listening to the sermon, which is what I love. So, but this is the idea, right? We just blank the screen, right? Turn off the computer. Turn off the emails. Turn off the cell phone. Turn off the TV. Turn all the technology off in your house for 24 hours and see what happens. Just try it, right? I I challenge you to try it and email me and let me know how it goes. 
But really what the purpose of that is we need to strip away the noise and the requests and, the, and the, all the things going on. And we need to just spend time reconnecting our souls to God's love for us, right? That's our lifeline. So we need to find ways to do that. You know, when Jewish, the Jewish faith, they practice uh, this a little bit better than we do. And their Sabbath is on Saturday. From sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday, they practice the Sabbath. And at the end of Sabbath, uh, there's a Jewish practice at the end of Sabbath where they take a wine glass and they pour out a glass of wine. Now, this is a famous wine that we all know called Welch's. And uh, this, we, they take a wine glass and they fill it at the end of Sabbath. And as they end Sabbath at sundown, they fill the glass and they let it overflow. And the symbolism here is that we're to be so full of the love of God in our lives that it overflows into the rest of our life. That Sabbath is the wine glass, but the wine of God's love is to overflow out of us into the rest of our lives, into the rest of our week, right? That's the symbolism here. That we're to be so full of the love of God that it flows out of us into our technology, into our emails and our social media and into what we watch, and what we put into our brain, and what we give out to other people. That everything that we're doing is overflowing with the love of God. Wesley, John Wesley, actually talked about perfection as being so full of the love of God that you can't help but love God and love others. It's so overflowing out of your life that you have reached that state of a healthy soul, right? It's not about having a perfect life. It's about having a soul that is overflowing with the love of God for us and for others. So that's our hope, that you and I would be so filled with the love of God that it would overflow out of us. Let's pray together. And I invite you right where you are to just pray along with me. And maybe you just put your hands out in front of you right now. Just change your posture in this moment. Just change it. If you're laying down in your bed drinking a cup of coffee or having a cinnamon roll, I don't know. But maybe just set that aside right now and just sit up wherever you're at. Put your feet firmly on the ground, on the solid rock of God. And open your hands, open your palms to God right now. And just invite God into your life. Invite God's presence into your life right now, into your soul. And let's pray.